Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. I want to welcome all those in our South Campus. I'd like to welcome all those watching online and on demand. So glad to have you tuned in. You know, today is Father's Day, so here's what I want to do. I want all of the, this is in our South Campus and in this auditorium, I want all of our dads, our stepdads, our grandfathers and great-grandfathers to stand up. Okay? What a great group. I want you to remain standing just for a second. You're such a great group of men. I want to pray over you today, okay? Let's pray to Father. Father, I just thank you so much for these dads. These are leaders in this generation. And I just pray, God, that you would give them wisdom, that you'd give them insight. And I pray that your favor, yes, your blessing, will rest on them and their children and to those who are, are far off. God, let your word cover them. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Well, over the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Chosen, and this series is based on a small book in the New Testament called 1 Peter. Now, 1 Peter was written by a guy named Simon Peter, who is probably one of the most prominent figures in all of the Bible. Now, most of us have heard about St. Peter before. Maybe it's not because of the scriptures, but we've heard uh, some maybe humorous stories about St. Peter. Somewhere along the way, we have been taught that that St. Peter guards the pearly gates. Now, that's not biblical, but it's kind of funny. I mean, did you hear about the couple that were about to get married, and then all of a sudden they ended up before St. Peter at the pearly gates? And they said, Peter, we have a question. It says, can we get married in heaven? He said, I don't know, let me go check. And he went away to check, and it seemed like a long, long time. And and he came back, and he said, yes. They said, well, what if it doesn't work out? Can we get a divorce in heaven? He said, now listen, it took me over a week to find a preacher up here. I don't know how long it'll take to find a lawyer. (laughs) Now, there are scores and scores of St. Peter jokes, and I could use my whole... uh, time up here today talking about that, but I'll, I'll save you of that. But you know what? We call him St. Peter, but Peter was not always a saint. Peter was just a, a normal, rugged fisherman who had dirt under his fingernails and had a foul mouth. Now, he was a man that understood hard work, and Peter was a man that understood perseverance. He was a patient man. You know, it's interesting to me that, that Jesus, when he chose his disciples, that he chose so many of the disciples were coming from the fishing industry. And I wonder if, that's, if patience is the reason. Because, you know, patience is a very important virtue in anyone's life, and, uh, and especially of a father's life. And he chose fishermen because they had patience. They, would, they could sit there uh, all night, you know, casting nets. They could sit on the shore uh, casting a rod waiting for the fish to bite. Now, patience is such an important virtue because if you are a dad, 
with kids in the house, you need it. My kids always had that unique ability to teach me what it meant to have patience. Now, if you were to talk to my dad, uh, my kids about uh, me and, and the things that they remember, probably one of the most memorable stories that they would say, even to this day, uh, would be happened on a Father's Day. I mean, this is probably 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, we were getting ready for church, and Patty said, it's Father's Day, so uh, kids, you can ride with your dad to church. Now, we lived out in, uh, off Hardy McManus in those days. They're already laughing at this story. We lived off of Hardy McManus in those days. It took us about 20 minutes to get to church. And so um, for the, once they got in the car, it was like they were pushing my buttons. I mean, arguing, fighting, you know, you know all of that kind of stuff, all the way to church. When we turned on, on Stevens Creek Road, I am telling you, I was so angry with them. I mean, I was so angry. I'm turning down uh, Stevens Creek Road. They are going at it. I stopped the car. I'm going to stop this car. Um, and so I pulled over on the side of the road. Probably church members rode right by me. I turned around at them. I was so angry. And then I went to say something, and I remembered that I had to preach in a few minutes. <laughs> and all I said was, oh, man. That was it. That was it. And so they remind me of that moment um, uh, and how they taught me patience. Well, I will say this. I remembered at that moment the most important Bible verse in child rearing. And you know what it is, then? Thou shalt not kill. You know, as dads, we have a lot of responsibilities, don't we? You know, when I was a young child, uh, my parents took the responsibility of raising me and my sister very seriously. And they taught us the importance of church, and they taught us the importance of prayer. In fact, they taught us two simple prayers that, that I remember even to this day. They taught us a mealtime prayer. It said, God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our... All right, your parents too. And then, before going to sleep, I learned to pray this way. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Now, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, that first prayer gives thanks to God as God is the one that supplies all of our needs. He's the source of all of our blessings. The second prayer acknowledges the uncertainty of life. You know, I probably didn't think deep thoughts when I was five years old, but you know, it's kind of scary for a five-year-old to say, if I should die before I wake. That's kind of a scary kind of prayer. But what if that bedtime prayer finally comes true? I mean, what if after years of rising and shining that the, the sun does not come up for me? What if this was your final day on earth? What would you do? How would you live? 
I think something like that was going on in Peter's mind when he was writing the words of 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, each week in this series, we've looked at a chapter of this book. This is the fourth week of the series, so I I was given chapter 4. Now, as I looked at chapter 4, I wanted to narrow down and just really focus on five verses from chapter 4. I'm going to start, I'm going to focus on verses 7 through 11. That's all that we're going to focus on, those five verses today. And I just want those verses to, to sink in. And for God to use these verses to speak to all of us. Now, it's interesting, we pick it up in verse 7, Peter writes, he said, the end of the world is coming soon. Another translation reads, is that the end of all things are, is at hand. Now, scholars will differ at the meaning of this verse. Some believe that this verse is speaking about the end of the world and the second coming of Jesus Christ, and rightly so. But being very practical, I think that this verse also speaks to the day of our death. When Peter says the end of all things is near, he uses a word that means at hand. It means approaching. It means coming soon. So let me illustrate. Let's, uh, some of you, let's suppose that you're taking your family on vacation and let's suppose that you're going to Disney. Anybody here been to Disney before? A few of you have been to Disney? Okay, I get it. Now, Patty and I haven't been to Disney in a long, long time. I mean, year, maybe decades, you know, Disney World. And so a few weeks ago, we had an opportunity because Sarah and Drew invited us to go and help them with the grandkids. And so here's a picture of us at, at Disney. And so what do we know about this? It's a long way from Augusta to Disney, right? It's a long way. And so you load up the car, and you put your family in the car, and you you start traveling. And by the time you get to Savannah, and you get on I-95, you hear a little voice from the back saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And then you, no, we're not there yet. Uh, Then you go on to uh, get to Jacksonville, and you cross that Florida line and get into Jacksonville. You hear another voice from the back that says, are are we there yet? Then then Daytona, are we there yet? And then you stop at Bucky's to to fill up with gas. And then as they're getting uh, in the car, they ask again, are we there yet? And the answer is the same every time. No, we're not there yet. We're on our way and it's not far now. Now, that statement is true in Augusta, and it's also true in St. Augustine. You're not there yet. You're on the way, and it's not far. And every mile that you drive brings you closer to your destination. We can say the same thing about the Lord's return. Since God doesn't reckon time the same way that we do, Christ's coming is soon. It was soon 2,000 years ago. Christ's coming was soon 1,000 years ago, 500 years ago, 50 years, even five years ago, Christ's coming was soon. Think how close it is now. Our articles of faith use two particular words to describe the coming of Christ. It talks about the personal return, meaning that the Lord himself will 
personally return to this earth. And then we use the word, the imminent return, meaning that he could come at any moment. So if we believe that, how then shall we live? That's the point of this passage. If we believe that Jesus is coming back, how should we live? Peter uses this chapter 4 to teach us four important principles that I believe that if we incorporate these four things into our lives, it will prepare us for the day that we stand before the Lord and give an account. Okay? So, verse 7. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. The end of the world is coming soon, so be earnest and be disciplined in your prayers. Here's the point. You can fill in the blank. I want you to keep your emotions under control so that you can pray. I want you to keep your emotions under control so that you can pray. The Greek word here translated earnest is a term that describes emotional control. Peter is saying, don't give in to the emotional pressure that's coming against you. Don't give in to that. Don't, don't give uh, up to anger and fear. And otherwise, lose your composure. Be disciplined. Why? So that you can pray. It was like when I pulled over on Father's Day on Stevens Creek Road. I work to keep my emotions under control. I said, God, give me patience. Because if you give me strength, I will also need bail money. <laughs> it is so important to keep your composure in times like that. Many people can't take the pressures of life and they just can't handle it. And that's why Peter is saying that we need to be alert. We need to be clear-minded. We need to make sure that we stay focused on the important things of life. That we do that so that we can pray. I often say this uh, uh, here at Stevens Creek. We've got to work to get the junk out of our lives so that those things don't hinder our prayers. So the junk doesn't stop us from connecting with that power that's greater than ourselves. Peter says, I want you to do this so that you can pray. Because when you're all wound up and you're stressed out and you're going 90 to nothing, it's hard to pray. And Peter knew that. And he was trying to get people to be earnest, to be, have that emotional control. Because he knew that if we live without prayer, we'll die without hope. That's verse 7. Verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers, love covers the multitude of sins. Now the word deep here could be translated fervently. It was used uh, as an athlete. Imagine an athlete kind of straining his muscles. Or maybe like a, a horse reaching for that tape in a, that race. Or maybe it's like a, a, a basketball player stretching um, uh, for the hoop. Or maybe an, uh, a baseball player stretching to catch a ball. 
It means that stretched out kind of love. It's a love that goes on and on and on. It's that kind of love that makes that commitment. They're going to love even when it's difficult to love. And sometimes it is so difficult to love because when you love, it costs you something. Love costs. Love means that you're going to stretch for that person that you love, that you're going to go to the mat, you're going to go to the wall, you're going to do whatever you can to help. To love somebody deeply means you're going to open your life to them, you're going to be vulnerable to them, that you're going to open your life to the point where you just may get hurt. Because to love deeply means that you're going to open your life up that you just may get hurt by somebody you care so deeply for. That's the reason for this command. We're to love each other with a stretched out kind of love. Because why? Because love covers a multitude of sins. Here's the second point. Fill in the blank. I want you to be quick to forgive. Be quick to forgive the thoughtless things other people do. Be quick to forgive those thoughtless things. They were were not thinking when they did that. I think every time somebody wrongs me, I have two choices. I have a choice that I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to cover that. I'm just going to move on. Or I have this choice that I'm going to drag them through the mud. I'm going to seek to get revenge. I'm going to seek uh, to retaliate for what they've done. And Peter is saying, don't do this. I want you to love deeply. I want you to forgive. Peter is saying, do not wash your dirty laundry in public. What it says to us is don't wash your dirty laundry on social media. That we have to show restraint. Love handles it privately. Love handles it by going to that person one-on-one and dealing with it. You see, hate exposes weaknesses. Hate seeks to humiliate people. But love deals with it privately. Love only deals with it publicly when it becomes the last resort. And so we have to be earnest. We have to show restraint. We've got to first love and then we have to forgive. But then after that we love and we forgive and then we are silent about it. And that's what we need to hear. Love has a short memory and sealed lips. That's what he's talking. Love people deeply. Love people deeply. And you will have to do this several times because you see, love is not surprised when somebody fails. So love is not surprised when promises aren't kept. Love is not surprised when others post unkind words. It doesn't surprise when people criticize you unfairly. Forever love expects other people to fall. And that when they do fall, that we have enough grace 
in our hearts to leave room for that person in our lives. There's a tendency that, that some of us have that when that person crosses that line, we write them out of our story. We push them out of the picture but what Peter is saying, I want you to love deeply because deep love, this stretched out love, it will cover that offense. It will cover the multitude of the sins that they have committed. We're to love like there's, tomorrow, and there's no tomorrow. And then when tomorrow comes, we're to love again. Next verse. Verse 9. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. Now, another version says, I want you to offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, in those days, it was very important for them to have hospitality, especially within the church. They didn't have nice church buildings like this one or like nice church buildings like we have on um, Peach Orchard Road with our South Campus. If you have not seen that auditorium, that building, you need to go. It is beautiful. It is beautiful. But they didn't have those benefits then. So people opened up their homes. They welcomed. In fact, if they had a visiting Bible speaker or maybe an evangelist would come for a revival. The people in the church were, uh, had to open up their homes because they really didn't, ha they didn't have a Holiday Inn. They didn't have a Sheridan. They didn't have a Hilton for them to stay at at the end of the road. They had inns back then, but they were very dangerous places. So the church was encouraged to have hospitality, and they had welcomed those Bible teachers and those evangelists into their homes. And, and Peter is saying, I want you to do that. And he realized it was really a badge of honor that when you had that kind of a generous spirit, that you would welcome somebody in, that you would offer hospitality to someone, that you would cook a meal for someone. It was a way that uh, you were to receive honor for that. But he goes on to say, this. I want you to do it without grumbling. I want you to do it without complaining. I want you to do it cheerfully. The Greek word here means to, to, uh, um, to rumble under your voice, uh, <clears throat> to under your breath, to grumble under your breath. Do you ever do that? You know, you have a smile, but then you walk away and you say, that low-down scoundrel, I can't believe he did that once again. You know, sometimes we do that. We, we, we get that angry and we walk away and, and we're smiling on the outside, but I'm telling you, we're grumbling on the inside. Here's the point, the third one. Stop complaining and start sharing what God has given you. That's what he's saying. Offer hospitality. I want you to stop complaining. Stop complaining now. Stop complaining and start sharing what God has given you. It is so easy in this world to complain that every time your mouth moves, it seems like there's something negative that's coming out of your mouth. You need to watch that. Stop complaining about it. Try to speak life. Try to speak um, something positive. Try to lift people up. And you think about, why would anybody grumble about hospitality? Well, Peter is trying to teach them the importance of being, having generous hearts. Generosity is important. We talk about generosity a lot here at Stevens Creek Church. We say it uh, on a regular basis. You are a generous church. When you look down the aisle uh, at those folks in our South Campus and you look across this auditorium here, you're looking at generous people. I don't know of an, uh, a more generous church. 
You have just been so faithful to help people out. Peter says, God has given each of you a gift, a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve others. In this phrase, we see three things. We see that God has given you a gift. Your gift may not be the same as everybody else's gift, and that you're to use this gift that you've been given to serve other people. Now, verse 11 categorizes these spiritual gifts into two different groups. It talks about speaking gifts, and it talks about helping gifts. Speaking gifts, um, an example of that would be of what I'm doing here. It would be those of you that uh, are working in our children's ministry. Do you know that on a typical Sunday morning that we can have around 300 kids from uh, fifth grade down that come through our doors? I mean, I'm telling you, I grew up in a church half that size. We have more kids in our kids' ministry than our church uh, that I grew up in. And so it takes people. It takes people that are willing to uh, teach those classes. Upwards to a close to 100 volunteers uh, in our children's ministry alone. But he said, those people who have speaking, maybe it's leading a small group. Maybe it's, 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 it's teaching. But he said, also there's helping groups. And that, those helping gifts are those, uh, it could be a number of things. It, it's those things that help keep the church moving forward. It's the first impressions. It's, it's a hospitality. It's working in our dream center. Do you realize that last year alone that we served over 20,000 under-resourced people through our dream center? It's because of you. Because you were generous with your giving and you were generous uh, with your time. You're willing to give. And so helping gifts, he's talking about that. The church needs our involvement. They need your involvement. And so here's the point. Be willing to serve knowing that you are helping others and you're fulfilling your purpose. Be willing to serve. You're helping people. You're helping others. One day you're going to stand before the Lord. Every one of us will stand before God. And I believe that God is going to ask you two questions. And the very first question, this is to every one of you. I want you to hear this. The very first question that God is going to ask you as you stand before him to give an account. He said, why should I let you into heaven? Just tell me, why should I let you into heaven? Now, the answer to that question is this, because I have trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And he will say, enter into the joys of the kingdom. It's on, in Christ that we stand. Okay, you say, okay, what's the second question? I believe he's going to ask a second question. And the second question is this, what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? It is a, a, a question about stewardship. He's calling you into account about your own stewardship. What did you do? God has given you gifts. What are you doing with those gifts? God has given you resources. What are you doing with those resources? What are you doing with what God has given you? And a lot of it's here in the church, but some of it's not. It's in, in the community. It's being light in the darkness. It's standing for principles. It's standing uh, with morals. God has given us the gift, and I believe God will give us the strength to carry out the gift. 
In World War II, right after, uh, there's a little French town that had a statue of Jesus in its town square. Now, during the war, the, the enemy forces came and bombed that town, and it shattered the statue of Jesus. The town people went and gathered up all the pieces, and they, they put this, uh, pieces of this broken statue in storage. After the war was over, they wanted to rebuild the statue of Jesus. They pulled out the pieces, and they had almost all the pieces, and they put it back together, but they noticed they didn't have the hands of Jesus. And that was a problem to them because those hands actually had nail prints in his hands. And it was a reminder of how he died on the cross for them. And they're trying to figure out, do we just get another statue to replace this one? What do we do with this? And then someone took a plaque, a gold plaque, and engraved these words and put it at the bottom of the statue He has no hands but ours. He has no hands but your hands. He has no eyes but your eyes. He has no lips but our lips. He has no feet but our feet. We are the body of Christ in this community. And Peter says that the end of the world is near. Of all things is near. Now, what do we know about the end times? We know that there'll be turbulent times. We know that the world will be turned upside down. We know that there'll be long-held standards and morals that will begin to fall, that there'll be a, a massive falling away, that men will be covered in fear, that there'll be a spirit of fear that will sweep across the world. That morals will be abandoned. And that there will be nation that will rise up against nation. I'm telling you, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? So what should we do? What should we do? We drop down to the last verse of chapter 4. And Peter says very clearly, just put your trust in the Lord. He said, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. Keep on. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you. Keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who has created you. And notice these final words. For he will never fail you. He will never fail you. I realize some of you have come into this auditorium, you've come into our South Campus. And you've come into, a, uh, in this room, in, in our auditoriums today, just struggling and you're stressed out. Because you're wondering what your next step is all about. You're wondering what you need to do. You need wisdom. You need guidance. You um, are posed with situations that you feel like that you're in over your head and you have no clue. I would say to you, put your trust in the Lord. He's going to take care of you. He's not going to fail you. There are some of you that you are faced with obstacles. 
that you never imagined yourself being in that situation. And yet you find yourself in that situation. And you are literally scratching your head wondering, how did I get here? And God is saying to you, you are here, but you are not alone. But God is with you in this moment. He is with you in this struggle. And I am here to remind you through the scriptures that God will not fail you. That there is hope for you. There is hope for you. There's hope for you to get out of this addiction. There's hope for you to get on with your life after this occurrence. There's hope for you to get through this grief. For God is with you. And in a few minutes, I want to pray for you. And I just want you to come to the place where you're open to have that conversation with the Lord. That you're open to, to just receive what God has for you. Now, it is so easy to sit in this auditorium and, and to say, boy, he is really speaking to so-and-so, and they really need to hear that. And that we go so far down that road when it, all the while God is saying, I am speaking to you. I am calling your name. I am calling you. And the point is, will we accept the call? Will we hear the message? I want to encourage you. Today's Father's Day. And there's no better message than the message from your Heavenly Father. And that He has a plan for your life. And He's going to give you power today to see you through it. So here's what I want to do. I want you to stand in just a second. But as we stand, I just want you to be reverent. So many times when we stand, uh, we start grabbing our, our things, our Bible, our purses, and that, so that we can make a beeline to the door. This is not one of those days. This is the day that we just want to stand just for a moment, stand in God's presence and allow God's presence to rest on us. Like we sang about just a minute ago, rest on us, Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. I just want to pray over you. I want to pray over your families. And what's your posture? Here's what I want you to do. God, I just receive this prayer. I receive what you have for me. That's all. I just want you to approach this prayer with that. Maybe you say that over and over. God, I receive what you have for me. Okay? This is about you and the Lord. This is not about anybody else. This is you and the Lord. I just receive, God, what you have for me. I want to pray over you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we pray in the name of Jesus because we know that that is the most powerful name in our vocabulary. Jesus, you have already won the victory. You've already defeated death and hell. You are victorious. So we pray in your name, in your strength. So, Father, I pray for the people in this room. I pray for people that never made a decision to follow you, that they're praying today, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I pray for those that are feeling depleted. Father, that they're feeling worn out, that they feel that they have been stressed to the max and that it is hard for them just to go another day. 
I pray in the name of Jesus that your strength would be renewed. I pray that you would receive a new vision. I pray for those individuals that you are dealing with a problem. That problem could be in your family. That problem could be at work. And this problem has been looming over you to the point where you have struggled even with sleeping at night because you're constantly trying to find the solution. I pray in the name of Jesus that God would give you that inspired idea, that creative solution, that when you wake up tomorrow, that it would come to you and that it would give you peace and that you would be productive as a result of that. Father, I pray for those that are struggling financially. God, that you would open the windows of heaven and God, that you would start to pour out financial blessings across this auditorium in our South Campus. Father, I ask that you would show yourself uh, to be faithful. God, you have opened up the windows of heaven. God, I ask that you would pour out your blessings. Now, Father, I pray for families today. I pray, God, that you would start to heal and start to mend broken relationships and that you would strengthen family ties. So come, Holy Spirit, rest on us. Now, we're going to pray this. Father, I receive what you have for me. Say that. I receive what you have for me. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today. I hope you have a wonderful afternoon. Hey, your cookout's been rained out. But, you know, bring it inside and enjoy some time with your family. Be blessed. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.